Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. And welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Al, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Red. If you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. I uh, I, I didn't realize we were going to be um, uh, competitive, but that sounds good. Well, I mean, you're, you're basically assigning me homework, so... <laughs> I guess that is that is fair. Yeah, no, no. I will I will take this um, I will take this role of villain uh, with glee. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Red Nightmare. I um, do a few tiny things on the internet. I uh, stream once in a while. Um, uh, I play video games, but I also play board games. Uh, and that that's one of the things I'll be talking about today. Which I suppose then leads us into the next uh, little bit that you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Yes. Could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Yes. Um, what I'm, I'd like to talk about is the legacy board game Gloomhaven, which is a frankly massive legacy game in which you play a, the players play a group of mercenaries finding fortune out in the ass end of nowhere in an original fantasy setting. Um. And there, there's a lot to it, um, but fundamentally, during a scenario, you have players have abilities defined by a hand of cards that allow vastly different kinds of characters, vastly different kinds of play styles, depending on what class you're playing. Um, and as you play through scenarios, there's a whole host of elements that get unlocked, a story that progresses with narrow, narrow branches and everything, and it's... It is a lot, but it is also a lot of fun. I, I've seen little bits about it, and the biggest uh, issue I've seen is that it takes a lot of prep work for the physical game. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts, uh, setting up, looking up certain parts, depending on what specific scenario you're doing. Um, honestly, that I, I find that personally quite pleasant. It's a, almost a, like a sort of ritualistic process where I just take 50 minutes to set everything up and look up the parts I need. Yeah, it, it's like mousetrap. <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> if mousetrap allow you to um, kick the shins out from under the trap itself, I guess. Or maneuver, maneuver part of the trap into another part of the trap. I mean, I haven't looked at the advanced rules in a while, but it sounds right. And I wouldn't be surprised. God, Mousetrap is a legacy game. <laughs> just every every week, you just add another pace. Yeah, <laughs> very slowly. Cool. So I have my prepared list of questions that are designed to delve a little bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Yeah, sounds good. So question one. Imagine I was someone who has been recently awoken from a coma or resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. Essentially, I know what media is, but I have never personally experienced any. 
how would you explain Gloomhaven without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? Oh, wow. Uh, so what I would describe it as is taking on a role in a group of adventurers. I'm hoping that's a term I am allowed to use in this description. Yeah. Um, or mercenaries, probably. Adventures for hire, more likely. Um, and trying to... Basically playing through a storyline, unlocking um, all manner of elements, discovering new elements, new storylines, new jobs, even entirely new characters to play as you spend a good time with friends, basically. And a lot of elements of both expanding the character, but also discovering things about the character as you, mechanically at least, as you play it. So it's exactly like D&D that I've heard of. Um, not exactly. There's a lot less acting in it, but there is a lot more um, more character... Uh, not, not, not character is not the right word I'm looking for. More um, mechanics, more elements of um, using... Less acting, more more of the play elements, but there are some semblances to Dungeons and Dragons, absolutely. And you just act these out. There's no nothing in your hands or anything like that. Oh, there's a lot of things in your hands. Um, so to break it down, to, to get try and not overwhelm you all at once. Each character. Um, or each class, I should say more specifically, is uh, built up out of a hand of um, cards, on which there are two abilities, one top ability and one bottom ability. The card is bisected in the middle. And at the start of each play round, uh, you choose two of those cards, placing them face down on the table. And when it comes to your turn, you uh, play the top ability of one card or and the bottom ability of it of another card in any order you like. But when you are placing these cards, you both can't communicate with your other players exactly what you're doing. You can be vague. um, And you won't know exactly what the monsters, the enemies will be doing or in what order, because on the line that bisects the two abilities, there's also a number that defines when in the order you go, lower numbers go earlier in the initiative order, and higher numbers go later in the turn. And there's this very fun, best-laid plans of mice and men where um, you make certain... You have a plan, but it can't doesn't come exactly correctly because the person you were hoping would go after you is going in front of you, so you need to adjust a little bit. And it's it's a lot of fun how much different kinds of characters can be crammed in such a relatively simple mechanic of just playing cards from your hand. Cool. So uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. Mm -hmm. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out the most to you? To me, it would be the elements of the... um... The cards specifically, 
the top action, bottom action. Like I'd, I'd be, I'd be definitely interested in hearing more about what those, um, more examples of those cards and how that exactly works in game. That would be, that would be the uh, part that jumps out to me. Fair. Um, question three. We can tell that this is a subject that you do, in fact, care about, but what got you to give it a chance in the first place? So, I used to, um, we used to have, here in the city, a one of the board game shops organized a weekly um, Dungeons & Dragons sessions in, um, in a separate location, where just People with uh, Dungeon Master or, or play games for just once or twice off. Um, semi-public, I guess. But a few people I met there, one of them had bought the board game Gloomhaven at one point and invited uh, a few few of us to play that. And I, I was just impressed with how massive this box was and how many pieces were in there. Um, and having played a few sessions, I actually really like the idea of how this really, like you were, you were part of a, playing a character as part of a team, which is one of the elements I really like about Dungeons and Dragons, but you could really focus in on just the mechanics at that point, the, the acting and also needing a player who plays the opposition was not necessary. And I really liked what I saw and what, what the story bits of it were starting to imply so that honestly ultimately led me to getting my own copy and starting my own group cool so like coming at it from the like you said the more mechanical minded aspect mm-hmm. and there was also parts in there that reminds me of the old vhs games the nightmare series which was later on dvd as the atmosphere games Oh, um, yeah, I, I, honestly, I have to admit, I'm not very familiar with the Atmosphere series, so I don't know how much they, there, there are no VHS tapes in there. But the, the idea of not needing an, an antagonist player, because the, the game provides that for you. Yes, you, yeah, absolutely. So, um, as I described, what I just described about the actions, that's how players choose their actions. Um, the monsters, each kind of monster has a tiny little eight-card deck that you shuffle. And uh, as long as there is one of the monsters of that type on the board, you flip a card at the start of each round. That, and that not only gives the initiative of that monster, but also what they will be doing on this turn. Um, and what that, what's really nice about that is that because of each kind of monster having their own ki- own separate deck you start to slowly learn their behavior. Like certain monsters always have very low initiative numbers. So they're very speedy, quick, hard to get mm. before where, uh, and, but they might move a lot, but not attack as much, or they might not uh, mostly attack at range. And there's some monsters that like spawn newer versions of themselves, which is always a heck of a thing when that starts getting out of hand. So it's that it, I like how that how it still gives you these very distinct different enemies uh, from scenario to scenario without needing to have any DM to control them. Yeah. And like with the atmosphere, it's like the tape is running and the events are playing out as you're playing the game. So you have to 
try and react at the moment. Or I guess in a different legacy game that I have played, the Pandemic series, mm-hmm. uh, you draw a card and the events just start happening without like a DM running the game for you, basically. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think that's very similar to um, to that. In this case, then the, the cards define what the monsters do, and there's some general rules about who they will be targeting in the group based on uh, positioning and initiative, but. It's really just the, the cards that you're flipping that are showing you how much in trouble you might be or not. Or sometimes just like it's exactly what you want it to happen. Yeah. I, I mean, it, a bit of a pun, but it does feel like it has that bit of a legacy behind it. Uh, yes. I believe that uh, the designer Isaac Childress uh, took a lot of different elements, uh, definitely from legacy games, absolutely. But also, I think, from... Uh, dungeon crawlers, um, definitely elements from Euro games as well, um, and it's it's very it, it it feels like it's a culmination of a lot of lessons that have been learned throughout board game design, all brought together yeah. into one big package with its own flaws as well. I'm not going yeah. to gloss over those, which then provides lessons for someone to look at this game and go, ah, I've got an idea and then go on to make their own, I imagine, super successful series. Yes, I I hope that this again becomes a stepping stone for something even greater. That's always that's always the hope with uh, media, I think. Yeah, it's on the shoulders of giants. Yep. Um, question four. For some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around Gloomhaven that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? Uh, yes. I don't interact with them that much in the sense of not, not directly. I, I read a lot of sometimes posts or um, I actually say, I, I actually tell a lie. I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, Naughty, naughty. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of discussions about like for the different kinds of classes, a lot of different uh, guides for them. But what the community is very good at is not spoiling anything, because um, at the start of the game there are six different classes available, but the total game has seventeen envelopes for classes, eleven of which are locked at the beginning of the game, which you'll slowly unlock through different means as you play. Um, but they all have a different icon on the envelope to indicate which one you need to open. So every icon has gotten its own nickname so that people can um, discuss the, like, kind of signal to people like, hey, this is the one we're talking about. If you haven't opened it yet, stop reading here. Um, so I, I, and that's been incredibly consistent throughout the community. I've, I've been impressed how practically nobody makes the, like, nobody breaks that rule of, like, not talking about it not spoiling anything, giving people the opportunity to um, to play it for themselves. And what the community also has, um, aside from just discussions on which, which characters or which cards on, uh, in certain classes are good, worth your time, um, they also make a lot of custom content themselves because the designers have um, basically put a Creative Commons license. I think it's a share-alike, um, non-commercial license, which allows people to make their own custom content and share it online for the game. And there's been a lot of impressive scenarios for that. 
And I may have also um, pitched in on a group printing run of one of the fan-made expansions of that to get that printed uh, and shipped to me <laughs> in a big box. So, you know, I'm pretty deep in right now. Um, and that's not, not even thinking about the sequel that's coming in probably somewhere next year. And, I mean, it's also, uh, like, is the community just so in sync about not ruining things or is it under a tight enough control that any dissenters are just instantly taken care of? I I don't I, I don't think it's external control at least. I think it's very much a um peer pressure kind of control where it's just the assumed way of uh talking about it. Um because like I've practically never seen anybody slip up on that. Like it's always, and I don't know if the, if if comments like that are just deleted, or if it's just people are like, look, we, we, we all you need to do is just name the pretty pretty um, standardly accepted nickname, and after that you can like once you're past the jump or once you people are in the article, you can assume they've at that point made a conscious decision to join. So then you can talk openly. But yeah, no, it's, I think it's very much a sense of like, we don't want to ruin this for other people because it's so much more fun to discover what's in here by yourself. Yeah. Which in turn ties back into what the community is like. Yeah. That they're not like a a totalitarian dictatorship. That's just, you must follow these rules. It's just a a communal sort of acceptance. Yes. Of course, you'll always have rules lawyers. There's always, um, and there are some, um, the, the, the creator is also very active in the community, so some corner questions, there's a good chance that he's answered them somewhere. Um, but I don't get the impression that people are like very, you have to play it like this and no other way most of the time. I've, I've, I've seen some of that, but other people, have, just as so many people have been like, look, it's, play it your way. There's ultimately have fun. So play it whichever way you want, just play it. Mm-hmm. Um, in question five, there are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What is your favorite part? Specifically for Gloomhaven, I assume? Yep. Um, what, re- what I really like about Gloomhaven is that I... To steal a quote, I guess I I, I admire its perfection or I, I admire its elegance. It's I'm so impressed with how well the different parts of it all interlock together in the very tiny little clever ways. How certain elements that are ultimately like once once you're dug in a little bit, it's once you've got the basics down, it's pretty easy to wrap your head around and then you start realizing how much space within those limits there is to think up completely crazy kinds of characters or scenarios and i really it's one of my favorite things about that and it's also the idea of like the um, discovering the not knowing the like slowly exploring something where you start with one little scenario and at this point in the game we have like branching pat we've branched paths in several directions and have like, I think six or seven scenarios open before us, depending on what, what we feel like chasing after at this point. Cool. Um, so question six, following on from the previous question, 
what do you think would appeal most to the general public? Hmm. It's a little bit tricky because I'm never quite sure how in tune I am with the general public. Um, God, I, I feel that. <laughs> I, I I think the general public, what they, what, what the idea of, you know, so, so the idea of like, when you think about Dungeons and Dragons, that's that's a pretty involved thing that requires a lot of speci- specialization, especially from whoever's running uh, the game, and also like acting a character also takes a lot of um, elements out of that. I think what the general public could would probably really enjoy is is the still the sense of adventure without needing those elements, still being able to make moral choices on who you help or not, um, still fight monsters, kick in doors, collect treasure that kind of thing without needing the whole song and dance of the acting part or needing a, a person who really runs it for you. Mm. Yeah. I, I could say that the, the barrier of like improv requirement, even though that's not a thing, but yeah, I do. Um, I do think that, that um, the game, it is not a, it, as elegant as it is, it is not a simple game, so that could be a barrier to people. But if that's a hurdle, you, like if you're willing to bite down into that and um, start with uh, the smaller version, uh, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion, which does a, the introduction of the rules so much better, um, I think I think you'd people could really dig this as a uh, as a bit of an adventuring, uh, fun time with the family, friends, once every few weeks. Uh, depending on the family, of course. Yes, of course. I... <laughs> yes. No. Thanksgiving has just passed, and uh, yes, absolutely, that is a thing for people. Yeah. I mean, not here, but still. Yeah, not here either, but... Mm. Uh, question seven. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel or anything, but where would I turn to if I wanted more of the same? Gee, if you could tell me that, if anybody could tell me the answer to that question, that would be great. Because um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, I haven't really played many other like legacy games like this. This might actually be my first legacy game. Um... And especially if you like the kicking in the door dungeon style play, the, the game is massive. So by the time you're finished, um, hopefully something new has come out to, to fill that up. I mean, I guess the sequel. Um, but yeah. maybe I'm, I'm actually going to I'm going to throw you for a loop and actually turn this question around. Um, and actually instead of talking what i recommend like afterwards what i recommend before so i'm mostly talking about the so far i've been talking about the the big box the big gloomhaven and as i said my recommendation would be anybody who's interested after this start with um gloomhaven jaws of the lion because it is a smaller box a cheaper box so if you end up not liking it you won't be out as much um money as uh, otherwise the story is actually apparently a prequel and you can take elements from that into the bigger game afterwards. Like the four classes that are in there are unique to Jaws of the Lion, but they are, because of the way the um, decks and elements are set up, you can just 
literally lift those classes up out of Jaws of the Lion and insert them into the um, Gloomhaven uh, proper environment and just start with 10 characters at the start. Yeah. And, like, could you consider this a gateway into the tabletop RPGs, like a Dungeons & Dragons or similar? Yes. I think if if you if you'd like to at that point you'd like to do more of like playing that character and maybe even like having more freedom of choices then yeah I could definitely see that being the next step uh looking more into RPGs proper. Um question 8 sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. So did you have a character or class that you related to? And if so, what drew you to them? So not exactly on a personal model. I'm currently on my third character in the campaign because characters swap in and out uh, as one of the mechanics. Um, but the first two, in both cases, I've played uh, tanky characters. Like be the, the, the person who... Has the is the toughest to take down and stands in the front and mostly is there to take the beating for the rest behind them to um, do their thing and I don't know that's that's always I've always seen the role of a, like a tank in that sense a defender always just like setting your friends up for success like being making sure that the that the other your other friends and your other teammates can do the maximum of their ability because you've got the damage side of the equation handled and I, I think that relates to me to some extent that like propping up others and being like maneuvering them into a position where they can shine so i guess in that sense that related that relates to me i'm per- currently playing a character who is incredibly antisocial in mechanically speaking but mm-hmm. <laughs> just just to mix it up a little bit but yeah those were, those were my two first characters and that's i think that's something i can relate to yeah, that sort of protector personality, the nearly yep. being a martyr in in the extremes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far, mm. but yeah, I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, if you take it too far, it could go there. But yes, yeah, yeah. Um. So, question nine: uh, A lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get a, get to know a person. But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture this scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and everything like that has been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it, and for you it is Gloomhaven. How frequently do you utilise it, and how long would it take for you to be sick of it? Hmm... Knowing me, I'd probably play every evening at that point because I, on a deserted island, I assume I have nothing else to do. Well, no, I, pr- I probably space myself out because at some point I'm going to have played all the scenarios. And in that sense, I'm guessing a month or four or five because at that point I've probably played every scenario once or twice because there's 95 in the main game. So at least you get a sense of the longevity of it if nothing ever changes. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, it's 
I think I think it's mostly because it's a legacy game. It's very much a one playthrough kind of game, but you can basically at some point just start looking at the other branches and stuff. And if I was on a deserted island, I'd probably end up doing that. Yeah. And yeah, I'm gl- I'm glad I I'm, I'm glad it's Gloomhaven because I can actually play that by myself. Yeah. And not like a oh man D and D just I can look at the books I guess I probably just get a bunch of coconuts put them in the circle and pretend to DM for them honestly in that case <laughs> God it's going to be bad when they start talking back What do you mean they don't do that already uh, We <laughs> should have some words after this. <laughs> But that is all the questions that I had. So thank you for indulging me. You're welcome. And hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, before I ruin the show by talking myself, it's time for everyone's favorite part, a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Really, you are the wind beneath our wings. Now, I have a follow-up review from last episode's Enemy of the Show and self-proclaimed Little Birthday Boy, uh, The Flock, and its recommendation of Oxenfree. Is this something that you're familiar with? I have it in my Steam library. I've seen a few things of it, and I'm hoping to get round to it at some point. (laughs) Again, as I said at the start, there is so much media. There is so much media. There's so much media. (laughs) Um. So I did play it. Uh, I could see that there is a very in-depth story to it, but I was very much struggling to get into it, like having it hook me. There mm. were a couple, a couple of little elements early on that it's just like, okay, yeah, this is I'm not only seeing where it's going, but I also don't know where it's going. So I do have that drive to find out. Uh, a lot of the pacing really like kept it from being in- too engaging. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you, you felt like getting to the good bit, please. Yeah, it's like yeah, I know that like you're walking around and it's taking longer because there is a scripted conversation that has to happen, or mm-hmm. at least that's kind of coded in. But it's just like, yeah, come on, you used to be able to run like three minutes ago. Come on. Yeah, and right. yeah, you don't want that feeling in a narrative game where you're just try- going, yeah, come on, skip ahead, go, go, go. Yeah, if you've reached the point where you want to skip the the conversations, that's 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 usually where the story has lost you. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's enough to it that I might go back to it at some point, but I don't see that happening for the next little while, at least. Mm-hmm. Not because of just. There's so much media, but, <laughs> but more, it's just like, it, it does need to work a little bit harder to, to grab me in. Mm. And personally, I'm not a fan of like jump scares and there already were a couple in the parts that I got up to and I'm like, ah, ah, yeah. I, I, I'm good for now. I think I charitably give it at this moment, a two out of five and yeah. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session and 12th time that I've made this joke, could you please tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise? 
so yeah, you can find me over on both Twitter and Twitch, uh, Red Nightmare Seven. I use the seven because another Red Nightmare got there before me. Um, yeah, and I I stream every Saturday, five to seven Central European time. I. I'm, I, I want to say GMT plus two, but that always changes depending on what at what point you listen to this podcast. So, um, yeah, that's ultimately the only thing I have uh, currently going on right now. So, like a plus two or plus three or plus, plus two one or, or plus, plus two. one, yeah, depending on the time of year. So, I, I recommend getting there at uh, plus zero and just sticking around for the entire time. Let let, let all the ads run. But on that note, I've been L. I've been Red. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, those who live in glass houses should not throw bears. Stuffed bears or live bears? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>